0: You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. To the choirmaster, a Psalm of David. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You've set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, For I am in distress, my eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails me because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbours and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've become forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant, Save me in your steadfast love, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. O how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, and worked for those who take refuge in you, in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. When I was in a besieged city, I said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cried to you for help, love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Amen. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. We pray that you'd work in us by your spirit, that you would open up these words to us, that you would teach us and encourage us and strengthen us. Amen. Well, John Hooper, the Bishop of Gloucester, former Bishop of Gloucester, was burned at the stake on February the 9th, 1555, not far from here, just uh, outside the cathedral. And from prison, while he awaited execution, he wrote to his wife. His wife was called Anne. He'd met her on the continent. And he encouraged her to meditate on a number of psalms. Uh, Psalm 6 psalm 22 psalm 30 and today's psalm psalm 31 that as he faced that execution uh, and affliction as he faced death he encouraged her to take comfort and consolation in the psalms and particularly this psalm and this Psalm has that those famous words in it words taken by the lord jesus uh, his last words on the cross uh, into your hand i commit my spirit And so this is a psalm which has been loved by God's people through the ages and which they've incorporated and used in their lives. It's been taken up by believers of old. Uh, Part of it was taken up, as we'll see, by Jonah, of uh, Jonah and the Whale fame. Part of it was taken up by Jeremiah. Uh, Jesus obviously spoke it on the cross, but then uh, Stephen, um, as he faced martyrdom, took up those words also. And, And through the ages, believers facing martyrdom and in trouble, have taken up these words and have cried out into thy hand, into your hand, I commit my spirit. And so it's good for us as we progress into a new year, into 2022, you may have found already that you're facing unexpected difficulties or challenges or perhaps the same old challenges this year. It's good for us, this psalm is a psalm of trust, essentially, a psalm uh, whereby we can express that trust in prayer in lament uh, in uh, in prayer to God and so there's much uh, rich encouragement for us here so a psalm of king david the anointed king god's appointed king the messiah who as we know has been reading book 1 of the psalms was frequently in trouble frequently crying out to God for deliverance and there's parallels between psalm 31 and psalm 22 um, there the structure of the psalm is uh, is a little difficult to determine once you've read sort of five or six commentaries on this to find out the structure and they're all saying that it's slightly different um, you really know that, that the structure is quite dif- difficult that one person suggested um it was a chiasm. But it's got this chiastic structure. And someone commented that, um, yeah, I love the way that you can spot chiasms where no one else can. And I thought, well, that, that's for sure. This, is, this structure is rather, rather interesting. But what it does is he, he moves backwards and forwards between trust and then prayers for deliverance, really. So I'll, I'll give you sort of how I've, how I've broken it down. So in verses 1 and 2, there's this prayer for deliverance. Verses 3 to 8... Uh, David is expressing his trust. Verses 9 to 13, uh, there is this lament as he calls out to God in his sorrow. Um, And then he returns in verse 14 to 18 for um, trust, then mixed with prayer. More expressions of trust. And then there's praising God for his trustworthiness, his faithfulness. And he finishes with this exhortation to love God, this exhortation for the saints. So he moves backwards and forwards from prayer to trust. But I think at the heart of it, really, is expresses his trust in the Lord and the Lord's trustworthiness. That is what I think sort of ties it all together. So we're going to work through, uh, through this psalm. Um, and we will, it's quite a long psalm, we can't cover every verse. And we'll, you'll find that we pick up speed as we head through it. So the first two verses um, is his prayer for deliverance. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. King David addresses God as Lord uh, nine times in this psalm. The Lord, that is the, the covenant name of God, the name by which the Lord revealed himself uh, to Moses, This great, the great I Am. This is the, the God who's acted in history to deliver his people from Egypt, the God who... Um, created all things, who brought the world out of the watery chaos. This is uh, the God, not a God of our own imaginations. This is the God, as Francis Schaeffer was uh, fond of putting it, the God who is there, the God who exists and has made himself known. Finally, the God who's made himself known in history in the Lord Jesus Christ, the covenant Lord of heaven and earth. David addresses God uh, nine times as the Lord. In you, I take refuge. Many times, David had been on the run, hunted for his life, King Saul chasing after him, and he sought refuge in uh, clefts in the ground and rocks and different hiding places. I don't think he used the the blanket trick, but um, he was hidden away in in many ways. But ultimately, how was it that he was hidden? Uh, It was the Lord who was his hiding place. It was the Lord who kept him safe from those attacks where they came. It was the Lord who sovereignly uh, intervened to keep him safe until his kingdom was uh, established in Jerusalem. So he confesses that the Lord is his refuge. And he prays in verse 2, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. And then verse 3, as we move through to this expression of trust, for you are my rock and my fortress. And notice that, I think this is interesting here. He prays um, and then expresses his trust in God. He says, uh, be a rock of refuge, for you are my rock of refuge. Be a strong fortress to save me, because you are my fortress. Okay, so he trusts God, that God is a rock, that God is a fortress, and because of that, he prays that God would be what he is. He prays on the basis of God's character. And we'll find this dynamic as we go through the psalm that is expressing his his trust in God's character, on his faithfulness. And because of that trust, that then issues forth in in prayer. And so I think this is helpful. We we tend to we sometimes think, you know, if God is sovereign over everything, if he is trustworthy, uh, why do I need to pray? But we see the dynamics of how this works in David's life. Uh, Because God is a rock, and because God is his rock, therefore be a rock of refuge. Be what you are. God, you are a healer, be my healer. God, you are a saviour, save me. You see how that dynamic works in these verses. Um, And he prays, in your righteousness, deliver me. And this was one of the verses that Luther puzzled over when he was, um, before he'd really come to that great discovery of of justification through faith in Christ. How is it that God could be righteous and uh, deliver us who are unrighteous? If God is righteous, are we not just instantly toast? And then Luther came to that great discovery that God, in his righteousness, confers righteousness uh, on us. So Luther puzzled over this. But David is praying, in your righteousness, deliver me. He prays to the God who is righteous, the God who is there, who loves what is right and hates what is evil, the one who is just and fair. Remember the words of Moses in Deuteronomy, end of Deuteronomy, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, his work is perfect and all his ways are just. The Bible, um, the Psalms and the whole of the Bible is utterly opposed to every kind of moral relativism. In the Bible, in, in, in the Psalms, we find this absolute standard that there is good. There is a standard of goodness and holiness and truth because that is based in the character of God Himself. It is rooted in God Himself. And so, and God is, is establishing this kingdom of righteousness on earth through His Messiah, through this, His Davidic kingdom. And that's why in Book One of the Psalms we see. There is such kickback and such opposition god is establishing his kingdom on earth and it is hated by uh, the forces the powers of evil the power of darkness and so he prays um, in your righteousness deliver me now david knew he was a sinful man he knew he needed uh, forgiveness we'll come on to that a, bit, a little bit later but his was a righteous cause his was the cause of god's kingdom and the cause of righteousness and god had had made that known. And so that's why David's in the midst of such uh, trouble. He prays for support and help in the midst of his difficulties as the anointed king, the appointed king. Um, And he prays, for your your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. And really, that is an expression of trust again. He he knows that the, the sovereign Lord is the one who led God's people out of Egypt, who led them through history, And he prayed to God, you're the one who leads me and guides me. Verse four, you take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Again, expressions of trust. He knew there were traps laid for him and difficulties against him. But over and above all of that, he knew that the Lord was sovereign and could deliver him. Then verse five, these famous words, into your hand I commit my spirit. David here entrusting the whole of his, his self, his being, into the hands of his faithful God. Even in the midst of great um, adversity and affliction and trial and trouble, he knew that his life was in the hands of his, his God and his life was providentially ordered by the Lord. And so Jesus famously prayed this prayer uh, at the cross. This was the last prayer he prayed before he died. Um, he prayed in Psalm 22. Uh, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Uh, prayed there, and he prays this prayer taken from Psalm 31. And so people have sort of reflected on this and thought, well, actually, Christ on the cross, we, he, we know he knew the Psalms and he loved the Psalms, and it's very unlikely he'd prayed uh, isolated verses. He would have perhaps been reciting the, the whole of Psalm 22. And People have suggested maybe he, he recited all those Psalms on the cross, Psalm 22, 23, 24, all the way up to Psalm 31. We, we don't know that, but it's likely that he took uh, this whole um, these whole psalms, and not just sort of isolated phrases from them, but these were this was his last words here from the cross. He prayed this before he died um, and I'll read this from luke thirty two in forty five It says that the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up his spirit. It's extraordinary! There, Just at the last moment, we see Jesus giving up his life, breathing his, la- um, breathing his last. And uh, his, his death was not a random accident. No one took his, his life from him. He gave it up deliberately for uh, the salvation of his people. So even here at at the last, Jesus knew his death was not a random accident. It was ordered by his sovereign God, his heavenly Father. And he adds those words in, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So David, through dark and difficult times, trusted in the providential ordering of uh, his life by the Lord. And and this is what uh, Bishop Hooper wanted his wife to know. As he faced execution, he wanted her to know that actually uh, all these things were in the hand of the Lord and that she could take comfort in that, in her grief and sorrow. And verse, and then he, he's, he, David says, Into your hands I commit my spirit, you have redeemed me. That's another expression of trust as he remembers the times when his faithful God has redeemed him. Verse 6, another expression of trust um, in the Lord. And this is the bit which uh, Jonah picks up. Um, uh, David says, I, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. And these taken up by Jonah. Remember Jonah thrown off the side of the ship and um, coming down to a watery grave, seaweed wrapped around his head, and he's plunging down to death. And, and in that condition, death is facing you. Uh, upon whom are you, is he going to call at this point? You know, he cannot call the Coast Guard. There's no... He cannot, is he going to call on his idols? The idols are worthless. There's only one person to whom he can call at this point. And that is the creator, the Lord, who's the creator of the heavens and earth. And he prays and he is delivered uh, and in the belly of the whale for three days and then spat up. And that in the scriptures is a, a, becomes a sign and Jesus takes it up as a, as a sign of his death and resurrection. It's a picture of death and resurrection. That's what we see in the Psalms, that David is on the brink of death and facing death, but then the Lord delivers him. These are all pictures of death and resurrection. Um, And as we come to face our own death, upon whom are we going to call? So the the idols and the things that we trust in and put so much worth in, they're going to be useless on the day when we face our own demise, on the day when we know we have to face the living God, our creator. there is no refuge in that day apart from in our creator apart from in Christ our idols are worthless and the things we commonly trust in are worthless on that day and so that's picked up by uh, by Jonah there and so you know when we come in the midst of any trouble or difficulty we need to trust in the true and living God in in sunny days and good times we, we sometimes think we don't need the Lord's help it is in affliction and difficulty that that is revealed to us and so David expresses his trust in the Lord and rejoices that the Lord is uh, so trustworthy verse 7 I rejoice and I'm glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction the Lord saw David's affliction and didn't abandon him to the enemy just as the Lord's people saw the Lord saw his people's affliction in Egypt Remember uh, Exodus um, 3, 7. The Lord says, well, I've seen your affliction. I've come down to rescue you. Here, David knows that the Lord sees his trouble and his affliction. Now, often we're tempted to think that God doesn't see our trouble or care about it. But we have the assurance of the scripture that God sees our affliction. He sees the the anguish and the difficulty uh, that we're going through. Um, we're, we're told in Psalm 1, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. So, the Lord, so David confesses this and then rejoices in deliverance, verse 8. And he then moves through to this section 9 to 13, which is a section of lament. Um, he's been delivered from trouble, but then he, he's just expressing his sorrow before the Lord, verses 9 to 13. Be gracious to me, for I'm in distress. My eyes wasted from grief, my soul and body also. My life is spent with sorrow. He speed, sort of speeds up here. Um, my strength um, fails me. He pours out his affliction before the Lord. And we have this in David. It's characteristic of him, isn't it? His raw honesty before the Lord as he expresses his grief to God. And then again, we see this thing, So um, this dynamic. So the Lord knows his affliction. And so he cries out to God in his affliction. He's, the Lord knows his pain, and so he cries out to God in his pain. And so there is that dynamic of faith again. So the Lord knows your trouble, so tell him your trouble. The Lord knows your affliction and sorrow, so pour out your affliction and sorrow to him. So we see that, don't we, in the Psalms, this, this dynamic. Sometimes I think we're tempted to think, well, um, if the Lord's sovereign over all and knows my affliction, he knows the situation I'm in, why do I need to pray? Well, that's not what we're taught in the Psalms, is it? We're taught that he knows our affliction, he knows our trouble, he knows our sorrows, therefore, we can tell him our trouble, therefore, we can tell him our affliction, therefore, we can tell him our sorrows. Um, and you teenagers need to, to learn this and understand this. Um, the, the sort of You get to a phase in life when you, you sort of think, my parents do not understand me. <laughs> um, they don't know what I'm going through. They don't understand it. Well, that may be true, um, but the Lord knows your troubles. The Lord knows your difficulties. So you, uh, the scripture encourages you to, to pour out your heart to the one who knows your troubles, that you need not feel isolated in your difficulty. You can call out to the Lord. Uh, in your trouble, whatever that is. And we we are instructed in the scriptures to come before God with our difficulties, whether those are health problems, whether those are financial problems, whether those are relational tangles, whatever the troubles uh, that are confronting us, we're encouraged to pour out uh, these things to God. And David here, in deep affliction, this this sort of lament, and he, he tells God all these things in excruciating detail, really about his bodily trouble, my bones waste away, my life is spent with sorrow. He lays it all out there before the Lord, and we ought to do the same. Well, verse 10, uh, he talks about his iniquity, that he has sinned, and this is picked up, the next psalm really deals with this at length. Um, Although he'd sinned, his adversaries, we find that they're making a great deal of this, and they're actually adversaries of uh, the kingdom. And so he continues this lament, verse 11. Because of my, all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbours, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've become forgotten like one who's dead, like a broken vessel, an empty, useless pot. So David there, he's, he's, he's attacked by enemies, Saul and whoever are enemies, the various enemies. But then... and. It, uh, it was his friends then and his neighbors who then distanced themselves from him. Those who should have stuck by him deserted him. Um, and we think of the Lord Jesus, don't we? We think of the, the trouble that he faced, how his enemies attacked him uh, in, the, in the Sanhedrin, the religious authorities, and they handed him over to the, Ro- the Roman authorities. His enemies came uh, with these conspiracies against him. But what was most deeply grievous to him was that his friends deserted him and stood at a distance to him and denied him and betrayed him. His enemies um, attacked him. His friends deserted him. So we read in Isaiah um, 53 uh, of, of the Christ, that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Those who saw him in the street fled from him. They're embarrassed about Christ. They're embarrassed about the Lord. Um, and an important lesson for us here at many levels uh, how we should not be ashamed of Christ, should not be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ and being known as Christians. A lesson to us of how important it is to stick by Christians when they are under attack unfairly, when they are slandered and attacked. How we ought to. Uh, stand by the persecuted church and pray for them, how we ought to stand by those who feel isolated and alone, how we ought to be ambitious to be faithful friends and not fair-weather friends. Well, verse 13, um, he goes on about this this conspiracy, for I hear whispering on every side, terror on every side. And this phrase, terror on every side, becomes a kind of a catchphrase in the book of um, Jeremiah, uh, it comes up in Jeremiah and Lamentation it comes up six times. So it comes up Jeremiah six and verse twenty a couple of times, verse um, chapter forty six and forty nine, and in Lamentations chapter two. Terror on every side. Here is this plot closing in um, on David and this uh, God's people. Um, and, and, and the Christ knew that, that there was this plot coming in and terror on every side. And verse thirteen. 13, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. And we think of Psalm 2 and the enemies scheming together and plotting against the Messiah, taking counsel against him. And David uh, experienced that and felt that. Well, he returns in this next section, 14 to 18, to expressions of trust mixed uh, with prayer. Again, his his trust. I trust in you, O Lord. I say to you, uh, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me. He trusted in the Lord. He confessed again. His times were in the hands of the Lord. His his times were not ultimately in the hands of his enemies. It was not they who determined when he would die. His times and his way and his path was sovereignly ordained uh, by the Lord. Verse 16. He prays, make your face shine upon your servant save me in your steadfast love. He picks up here the words of of the blessing from Numbers, the Aaronic blessing, make your face shine upon me. Um, So the people in the street were hiding from him. People uh, hid their faces from him as enemies were hiding from him. And he looked for comfort in the presence of the Lord. And we we saw that, I think, a beautiful example of that in Stephen as we looked at that last week in the martyrdom of Stephen when he's surrounded by the Sanhedrin with this sort of anger and fierce Uh, animosity that he's facing and yet the the glory of the Lord was shone upon him and the Lord's blessing was upon him Um, and so this is a it's good for us uh, to be praying for believers in trouble um, that the Lord would make his face shine upon his servants that the Lord's blessing would be upon them in the midst of difficulty we pray that for for the persecuted church and believers in that sort of severe distress I think it's a good lesson for us to gives us words to pray for, for those who are really struggling and suffering with severe illness. We've prayed, prayed that for, for those who we know who are uh, struggling with cancer and are facing death. And, and I think actually uh, we, we were praying for um, the Ludmans and for, for Lynn Marie. And actually in her last days, her final days, she testified that, that she knew the presence of God with her and the glory of the Lord with her in affliction. And in deep trouble, she had that sense of God's presence and blessing with her, the Lord's face shining upon her. And so that is, it gives us fuel for prayer, doesn't it? When sometimes people are in affliction and we, we don't know what on earth we can pray for them because they're facing such severe affliction. Well, we can pray that the Lord's face would shine upon them, that they'd have the comfort, uh, the same comfort that, that Stephen had as he faced death, uh, that they would know that the Lord's blessing and help as they face even death, and that they would do that trusting in the Lord. And so David, he he trusts in the Lord, and this issue's forth with prayer, verse 17 and 18, prayer again, that he'd be delivered, prayer that uh, his enemies, the wicked, would be put down, praying that oppression would be broken, Uh, and deliverance for the oppressed always involves breaking the power of the oppressor. Um. And then he moves on, verses 19 to 22, to praise the Lord for his goodness. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up, treasured up for those who who fear you, and worked for those who take refuge in you. We see here, again, as he comes to the end, he returns to this theme of the Lord as his refuge. But it's expanded now from his personal prayer that in the Lord I take refuge, and he's expanding it out to all those who take refuge in the Lord, those who've put their trust in the Lord, of those who um, have this great hope that, this, that is treasured up for them. This hope of, of eternal life, hope of blessings to come, hope of resurrection ultimately. And he, he blesses God. And interestingly, in verses 21, 22, his, 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 all these expressions of trust, but... um. In verse 22 it talks about how his trust kind of wavered really it talks about the time when he was in a besieged city and he said in my alarm i'm cut off from your sight and so david panicked really at that point uh, so his his trust was not immune from sometimes panicking and sometimes thinking god is not going to come through for me nevertheless the lord heard the voice of his pleas for mercy when he cries to him for help god Heard his cry, even though his, his prayers, as it were, were slightly all over the place at that point. And we see God's kindness, that he doesn't look upon our prayers and think, well, that's not a theologically very good prayer. I'm not going to listen to that one. He hears the cries of our hearts and he blesses us according to his steadfast love and his mercy. And he ends with this beautiful call to worship. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. This final call to trust in the Lord and hope in him. Well, lines of application as we come to close. I think one of the most obvious questions for us uh, as we come to, to close is, are you trusting in the Lord Jesus? Are you trusting in the Lord who is the creator of heaven and earth? Or is your trust in vain and empty idols? Are you trusting in things which on the day of your death will seem to be completely useless ultimately? We must all stand before the judgment throne of God. We must all give an account of our lives. We all have a, we're all sinful and must stand before that throne of God's perfect justice and perfect righteousness. Where is your trust? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? There is no uh, refuge from God. There is no refuge from that day of judgment. We we can suppress the truth of God, but there is no refuge from God. There is only a refuge in God. You You cannot run from God successfully And so run to him and find your hiding place in him. He is a refuge. We come to Christ. Christ is that fortress, that refuge from from the wrath of God. (laughs) That That is why he died upon the cross, to bear our sins upon the cross, so that whoever trusts in him will be able to stand on that last day forgiven, cleansed, made right, and have a, a hiding place. Um, so, are you trusting in the Lord or in empty idols? And so, um, and that, that's, that's the first thing. Where is our trust? But the, the second thing this psalm shows us, it just shows us the greatness and splendor of Christ. It shows us all that he went through, or something of what he went through, um, as it foreshadows his death um, there on, on the cross. And so the psalms i think really help us with this as we we think of christ on the cross we sort of we could gaze upon that and think upon his physical sufferings um, and the darkness and and the wrath of god but as we read the psalms they really take us into the the inner life of christ his anguish his sorrow and what it costs for him uh, to go through that what he suffered and so as we we read the psalms and we learn the psalms we see the grace of our lord jesus christ all that he went through. To deliver us, Uh, all that Christ went through on the cross. We see he was the one, he was the man of sorrows. He faced the pain of betrayal. He was the one from whom men hid their faces. He went through all that ignominy and shame. He was stripped naked and nailed to a cross and bore all that terrible shame and mocking for the sake of his bride, for the sake of his beloved people. That is the love of God for his bride. We see. Christ revealed in this psalm. And it teaches, the psalm teaches us and and helps us to see the steadfast love of the Lord, that he delivers his people. This is foreshadowed in the life of David, as David testified to how the Lord delivered him in his faithful love. We see this in the life of Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection, which we proclaim. His body did not see decay, but the Lord raised him up In accordance with all his ancient promises. We see the faithfulness of God delivering his people, his steadfast love. David was rescued, as he said, at the end of his life, out of every adversity, and we're encouraged to know that the Lord is the faithful God who will rescue us from all our troubles, even our own death. And so then I think the Psalm finally, it just instructs us in the nature of biblical trust. What that looks like, that trust in the Lord is not incompatible with prayer and urgent prayer. That if we're trusting in the Lord, that doesn't mean some sort of serene life where we think, well, God is sovereign and we've got that covered and I don't need to pray. No, trust in the Lord is not incompatible with prayer. Uh, You are my rock, be a rock. And trust in the Lord, neither is it incompatible with lament. We see that it takes us into this, this lament. He sees our afflictions, therefore call out to God in your trouble. He sees our trouble, therefore tell him your trouble. And I'll close with this. Trust in the Lord is not, I'm afraid, incombat- incompatible with waiting. The scriptures teach us endurance and patience, which is a hard So if you are uh, patiently waiting, hear these final words from the psalm. Hear them from the Lord Jesus himself. Be strong and let your hearts take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Well, amen. Let's pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at Gloucester that's P-R-E-S. For more. Thank you.